As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we're going to be breaking down the U.S. senior men's team's 4-1 to friendly win over Jamaica, as well as the U.S. U23s lost to Mexico in their final group stage game of Olympic qualifying. To help me do so is a man whose passing is never errant, especially when building out of the back. It's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. I only wish that was true, Taylor. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen me play soccer. We both know that's a lie, but I'm still going to take it as a very gracious introduction. Now, do you do you roll the dice then? Do you back yourself to be able to play through the middle or would you usually look out wide so that you're not caught in possession? You're not giving the ball away and conceding cheap opportunities. I'm going to put that the burden of responsibility on my midfielders. If they're dropping it in good spots, I can play on the ball (laughs) as long as they're open. But if they're if they're in a congested space, I'm probably not going to be able to thread that needle. All right. See that that's that's wisdom. That's common sense. That's why we have Joe here. <laughs> we will get to that. Uh, the one no loss to Mexico later on in the show. But right now we're going to spend a good chunk of time uh, reviewing the USA's four to one win over Jamaica, which happened not too long ago. We're recording this Thursday afternoon. Uh, Joe, let's start with the lineups and approach for both teams, which I think we did a pretty good job of previewing Jamaica. I think we got almost every starter correct. So I, I, I'm pretty happy with that. But why don't you tell us? about the U.S. and how they chose to set up. Absolutely. Yeah, we were almost spot on with Jamaica. Way to go us. But with the U.S. in this game, it's Zach Steffen in goal. No surprise there. From right to left along the back line, it was Reggie Cannon at right back, Aaron Long as the right-sided center back, John Brooks next to him, and Serginho Dest at left back. Then at midfield three, Kellen Acosta played as the number six, which is something that you and I had talked about earlier this week, Taylor, mm-hmm. as well. Sebastian Legette and Yunus Musa were to his left and right, respectively, in that midfield three. And then along the front line, it was Josh Sargent up top with Gio Reyna to his right and Christian Pulisic to his left. Overall, Taylor, a pretty, pretty chalky lineup. A lot of guys that we expected to see, maybe one, one or two sort of surprises or, or, or things that we weren't entirely sure what was going to happen with. But overall, something that I think we largely expected. Forgive me. What is a chalky lineup? Just does like, need, like, does it need lotion? What's going on? No, like, like if something's if, if something's all chalk, it's all expected. It's going according to plan. Oh, okay. It's what we thought was going to happen. 
All right. And that's, as we said, pretty much what Jamaica were with uh, white and gold. And they had a 4-2-3-1 uh, from right to left. They did go with Mariapa at right back. Moore and Pinnock in the middle. Uh, Bell on the left. Then we had Hector stepping out of the center back role into midfield for that 4-2-3-1. He was one of the holding midfielders alongside Isaacs, Morris, Palmer, and Lowe. And then Andre Gray ahead. And they did cause some problems for the U.S. Obviously, they get the goal. They do have some other chances. But for the most part... Uh, it's weird because the first half, I would say, like was an A for the U.S. The second half, I would say, was like an A minus to an A. It's just that one goal, I think, dampens things a little bit. But overall, I thought this was a strong lineup and a strong performance from the U.S. Where are you, broadly speaking, Joe? I'm right there with you. I left that first All half right. especially. It's, it's hard as friendlies get on in the game, especially in mm-hmm. the second half. Subs come in and the game loses some of its flow. But in that first 45 minutes... I thought the U.S. was awesome. I thought they were really, really good. The way they moved the ball, they looked comfortable building up against pressure, even if I don't always look comfortable building up against pressure. They created some chances against Jamaica's lower 4-4-2 block. And, yeah. and then they got out in transition. And that's that's the desk goal, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I'm sure. But they looked good in a lot of the different phases of play. In the second half, there were some more defensive vulnerabilities. And then on rewatch, there were some individual defensive mistakes in that first half as well with Reggie Cannon and then with John Brooks a little bit. But we've come to expect that. But man, overall, I thought the U.S. looked very good against a much more competitive opponent than they faced maybe outside of Wales in a long time. Yeah. And, and we talked for all the different reasons about why this isn't the full strength Jamaica team, why there's a decent chance the next time we meet them, they have even more Premier League players and are even stronger. But for now, it's a, it's an inexperienced, but still quality team. And it's also a team that we kind of anticipated being very defensive. I think that's exactly what they were in this game. As you said, they do have that low block on occasion. The U.S., I thought, did a, a good job of finding different options and opportunities to try to play through that. And then, did a very good job of when Jamaica did get stretched, when there were opportunities to counter or get in behind, they took those uh, with abandon. So I, I thought from start to finish, a good performance for the U.S. Some players uh, maybe had a stronger day than others. But Joe, anything, uh, broadly speaking, general tactics we wanted to talk about before we get to some of those goals? Absolutely. Yeah, we've seen with the U.S. under Greg Berhalter the the men's national team adopt a much more possession-oriented style. They're in mm-hmm. typically a shape that allows them to have good spacing on the field, or that's a big point of emphasis under Berhalter. Having, uh, having staggered lines and having different groupings in the middle and on the wings. In this game, we see kind of the tactical blueprint that I think Berhalter has adopted and is really firmly in that camp at this point. So we saw 4-3-3, like I detailed just a minute ago, but the fullbacks pushed high. At times, the wingers tucked inside to form kind of a front five. Other times, the fullbacks would drop off a little bit. And then the the midfielders, Musa or Leggett, especially Leggett on that left side, would push high into the front line and Pulisic as the left winger would stay wide. But we're seeing just variations on a theme. We're seeing variations of the same possession idea. And then you lose the ball, you counterpress, you win it back. Defensively, there's a high press in a 4-3-3 led by Josh Sargent. It was a lot of things, Taylor, that I think we've come to expect. And I think we should continue to expect looking ahead to Northern Ireland and then over the summer and all the 87 bajillion different competitions that the U.S. is going to be playing in. Yeah, and I think it's it's... Sort of a challenge to break it all down because there are so many little things that the team is trying to do on an individual level in some of those smaller groups and then as a team from start to finish with your 11 players on the field. And so like, like we could probably spend 
two hours breaking down this game. We won't, I promise, but we could. And I think we could still get through a lot of little moments because there are different responsibilities based on the way the game is going, based on where the ball is, based on which players are being sent forward. Because I saw Giovanni Reina. I wasn't as impressed with him initially. We talked a little bit, Joe and I did, after the game. Then we went back and rewatched some stuff. And my upon rewatch, I think I will own this. I think I don't really love players who have kind of negative body language and I think Reyna does not hide his frustration so when a pass doesn't come off when he thought something should have happened you'll see him throw the arms up you'll see him sort of get frustrated and it's not that I don't like that it's that in my mind that takes you out of the game a little bit and I think I sort of just assumed then that maybe he wasn't as alive to certain opportunities he wasn't fighting for things as much and going back and rewatching the chunks where I had some kind of negative notes they're almost always preceded or immediately followed by him working really hard off the ball or making something happen and I thought Reyna especially since he was tasked in my mind with with doing more of the defensive work with dropping in a bit more than Pulisic was it felt like the U.S. would sort of at times default to a 4-4-2 where Pulisic was allowed to drift a little bit Sargent was allowed to drift a little bit but Gio Reyna was dropping in on that right hand side to be a right a right midfielder I thought even there that rotation worked well and put him in position to help defensively but then also facilitate counterattacks uh, when they were on yeah there's so much depth to this game. And I like that. I like mm-hmm. that under Greg Berhalter, there's yep. all these different phases of play that we can break down. Yeah, we're not going to get to all of them. And we're not going to talk about them all in detail, but largely I was encouraged by how, how much of a comprehensive performance it was from the U.S. They possessed the ball well. They, they counterpressed well. So that's the possession phase. And then the defensive transition phase after you lose the ball, they defended fairly well, some individual breakdowns. So maybe, maybe a C overall in that phase of play. But then they attacked in transition really well and got some goals from that too. So they, they played well in a number of these different phases. And Taylor, I love how you brought in Giorena's individual performance because I thought he was pretty good. I saw a lot of people on Twitter talking about how he wasn't super great. I, I do think a lot of that is body language related. I thought he was quick to balls in midfield. He was aggressive defensively, covering ground, winning the ball, and then making things happen when he had the ball. He wasn't flawless, certainly. He missed a couple of chances that I'm sure he would have liked to convert. But I thought he was very good overall, probably more of a consistent, positive, impactful attacker than Christian Pulisic was in that front line. But Giorena, I thought, was good. And then Kellen Acosta, Taylor, Kellen Acosta Mm -hmm. as that number six. Tyler Adams not able to come into this camp due to quarantine restrictions with Leipzig. So then there's really no six because Jackson Ewell's down in Olympic qualifying with the U20s, uh, U23s, excuse me, in Mexico. So Kellen Acosta, you know, he comes in as a makeshift number six. And man, I thought he was phenomenal. I tweeted about this. He, he wasn't as good in the second half, had a few more turnovers. But in the first half, he found great spots and build up. He looked comfortable on the ball, right foot passing, left foot passing, defensively covered ground. Taylor, are you as high on his performance as I am or, or do I need to take a quick breath and calm down? You can do that, but I will then probably uh, amplify those feelings a little bit because uh, we don't want to take like massive conclusions away from no, no. one friendly or one individual performance. But if you were asking me to like draw a dramatic conclusion from this game, I would say that Kamala Costa is our second choice number six. Like it's between him and Jackson. You will probably uh, for me like from a Greg Berhalter standpoint, there's probably other options in there too. But I thought he did 
enough of what we want when Tyler Adams is playing that role that like it, I didn't really know who else could do that. And I think the answer is Kellen Acosta. But what I also did not see made me happy, which was we didn't see him really dropping in between Brooks and Aaron Long. I felt like even when we would see him go a little bit deeper, he really did then make an effort to move forward to make sure it was almost like a flat three in the midfield of Legette, Acosta and then Musa. And and so you always had the triangles. There was always he was always an option for Brooks and Long or even when he wasn't, he used usually pulled in one or two Jamaican players and that opened up space for other people. And I thought him staying a little bit more advanced and then into the second half, you're right. He gets caught a couple times. He's not quite as precise with his passing, but I also think he's in and around the Jamaica uh, penalty box pretty routinely. And that's not a thing we always see from that holding midfielder for the U S. So I am with you that for those reasons and many others, I thought this was, if I'm picking one star player from this game, it's probably Serginho Des, but if I'm picking a second, <laughs> then it's Kellen Acosta. And Kellen Acosta's in preseason right now in MLS with the Colorado Rapids. Serginho right. Des, that is all these other guys wild. that we saw ball out are playing for the most part. Long and Legette mm-hmm. are the other two guys coming in from MLS, and they all start in this game. But Acosta is probably not fully fit. He's certainly not in in a routine on the field. And so the fact that he came out and played as well as he did. And Taylor, I want to add one more thing to your analysis of him. When Acosta was in possession or when he was helping the U.S. build out, he would make these driving runs forward. He would make these runs into the attack that looked like he was a number eight because that's where we've seen him with Greg Berhalter before. And that's more or less where we see him with the Rapids in MLS. He's more of an advanced midfielder, not a number 10, but he's he's playing that box to box role. He kind of brought some of those attributes to the number six spot and he would make those runs forward and it didn't destabilize the U.S.'s midfield. It didn't allow them it didn't make them vulnerable because of Yunus Musa who I have nicknamed all reliable hmm. already after yeah. three caps <laughs> he looks like a 10-year veteran Taylor Yunus Musa looks yep. like he's so comfortable playing a position that he doesn't even play for his club it is absurd to me but Yunus Musa in this game would drop from his right side at central midfielder spot and, and tuck inside more and play either in the right half space or just drop into the middle whenever Kellen Acosta would push forward. So it was this really nice push and pull, this great balance between Acosta and his driving runs, and then Musa and his ability to see where the space is and where they, where he needed to defend space. And Musa would just drop in and be right in front of the center backs and contain yep. Jamaica. It, it was such a great balance between those two players. And we've talked a lot about the U.S. on the ball, in possession, what they did to win the ball back. I want to drill down on that last point a little bit more because I also saw the United States intermittently, I would say very intermittently, applying a high aggressive press and really sending numbers. And once Jamaica started passing backwards, you'd see them step and step and step and step and try to create issues. I think there was one deficiency in that that we can talk about later on when we get to some things we want to see in the next friendly against Northern Ireland. But I also routinely saw and heard Kellen Acosta being the one to lead that press. It would usually be Burhalter from the sidelines. Sometimes I think it was Aaron Long, but it was always either leading or chiming in Kellen Acosta, telling people to step and reminding people where they needed to be and telling Gio Reyna to slide over or telling Musa to step high, a little bit higher. I thought he did a really nice job of also communicating and sort of linking up that midfield so that everybody knew their responsibilities, which again, to your point, Joe, for a player who is in preseason mode, is really impressive. I thought Sebastian Legette uh, had a good game. He scored the two goals, but I also saw moments when I think two, two different times there's a throw in taken to him and he's trying to play it back 
that quickly. He plays it out of bounds. There's a few moments when I think he's supposed to make a run and he's just a little bit late. Even in the very beginning of the game, uh, I guess after the U.S. earn a corner off of a Pulisic attempt, there you can hear Dest calling him over and having words with him about needing to play a little bit faster. And I say that just to say you didn't really see that with Kellen Acosta, or at least I didn't. I didn't see those noticeable moments of like, oh, this guy is just kind of like he's doing fine. He's doing what he can, but he's not quite up to speed. I didn't really have those concerns or even just like those noticeable moments with Kellen Acosta. Agreed. And I do want to talk about the U.S.'s left side because I think that's another major tactical wrinkle. You mentioned Leggett just there. He's the left-sided central midfielder with Dest behind him, although most often it was Dest in front of him. Dest as that left back and Christian Pulisic Mm. as the left winger. We haven't seen a lot in the grand scheme of national team soccer in the United States. We haven't seen a lot of uh, right-footed players or at least right-footed fullbacks on the men's side playing on the left. Sergio Dest is right-footed, and he got the start in this game over Anthony Robinson, which is what you predicted, Taylor, and you were spot on. Sergio Dest played left-back for the U.S. He's done that before multiple times. But we continue to see how it brings a little bit of a different look on that side. We kind of saw it, too, with the U23s and Aaron Herrera starting as a left-back against Mexico. But Dest brings it to a whole nother level. He can hit passes with his right foot on the left wing that left-footed left-backs just can't hit. He can make runs and cut inside like a winger from left back, like an inverted left winger, like a left-sided Arjen Robin. You know, I guess that's just Frank Ribery, but still. I mean, he can he can do <laughs> things with his right foot on the left side and combine with Pulisic and cut inside into midfield and and have Leggett move off of him. Desk can do stuff that just no other player on the whole field for the U.S. can do at all, and certainly no fullback on the field, right or left back, can do. I thought he was phenomenal at left back, not just because he scored that goal, but because of the constant threat he and Christian Pulisic provided running at opposing midfielders, how are you going to defend that side? How yeah. do you defend I, the U.S. Not side? Easy. You can't. You can't, Taylor. <laughs> no, I think the only thing I will say, this is picking nits a little bit, and we're going to talk about the desk goal in a moment. We're going to talk about a couple different goals in just a moment. Uh, but to, to your point about building out, playing out, desk can definitely... Uh, make some passes that I think other players cannot. He's also so good on the ball that he can uh, get by people in 1v1 situations. The one I want to spotlight, though, is pretty early in the game in the seventh minute. He gets the ball out wide. He has uh, two different Jamaican players on or near him. And he sort of like cuts inside, cuts back outside, cuts inside, cuts back outside, and eventually does get away from them. And then I think ends up uh, playing the ball centrally. The U.S., I think, retained possession from there. But what stood out to me about that one, and this this is a thing that I think Daryl would have pointed out immediately because Daryl's big thing was playing a right-footed center back at left center back yeah. or a, a right-footed left back at left back is that there was that sort of outlet uh, a couple different times that Pulisic would drop deeper and be kind of standing on the touchline. And it would have been a tight pass. It would have been a difficult pass. But a left-footed player probably plays that into the true, feet of Pulisic. True. It's that sort of angle wide and Pulisic can turn. Dest, I think, wasn't as comfortable taking that risk but there's also maybe an argument that against jamaica a not very informed jamaica a fairly experimental jamaica maybe he was given a bit more license to try some stuff to try to create and maybe against an opponent where they're kind of running at him directly if that's germany pressing him maybe he does go for that outlet pass and backs himself to make it over trying to dribble around thomas muller or something like that 
Well, and it's a trade-off, right? When you have Dest as the left back, yeah, you lose that outlet passing ability with his left foot. We saw Dest use the outside of his right foot to play Pulisic down the line at one point in the first half. But you lose the ability to open up your hips and play down the line as easily as a left-footed left back would be able to do. But you trade that ability for the 1v1 dribbling higher up the field. So it is it is truly a trade-off. The one thing with Dest that I think makes him a better fit at left back than most right-footed fullbacks is his ability to absorb pressure. We see this with Barcelona, but Dest, because of how skillful he is, because he was literally born to just do dribble dribble tricks on TikTok, because he can do that, (laughs) he can he can invite one, two opposing players towards him in their press, two Jamaican players towards him in the press, and still break those guys' ankles. He can still uh, he can still beat them, dribble forward, and then create space. So yeah, he can't play that ball opening up his hips down the line as easily. But he still might be able to beat those players in maybe a more unconventional way. So yeah, trade off. It's going to look bad at times, but in this game, it looked it looked real good. Yeah, and it did look real good. And let me just be very clear that that is again picking nits. That is being. Uh, it's a good point, like, though. It's a good point. It is, but in a game when he scores the goal, he scores uh, to then be like, yeah, but he didn't complete that one pass, and that could be an issue. is a, is a bit too far for me. Uh, I do want to talk about that goal and other ones in just a moment, but first, let's take a word from here from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, Joe, we are back to talk goal scoring. Let's stick with Sergio Dest, whom we've been talking about a decent amount. Uh, for people who have not seen it, go watch this goal. Uh, he gets the ball. He drives to Jamaica. He scores the goal from distance. It's a great take. Uh, but in rewatching it a few different times and then going a bit further back in the game to see how this play develops... I have new thoughts, Joe. I have new observations, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on the goal overall to start. Yeah, it's a great goal. First of all, the strike is unreal. He hits that ball from 24, 25 yards out, cutting in on his right foot. He looks like a winger and he is a winger, or at least he was with Ajax back in the day. So back in the day is probably 2018, 2019 at this point. But I mean, he has that skill set and we can see it on this goal. But Taylor, I think it's notable that the U.S. scored their first two goals in transition moments. I'm not really sure what it yep. tells us. I, actually, I kind of, I kind of do know what it tells us. It's hard to break teams down. It's hard to break down a 4-4-2 mm-hmm. block when, the, when they're tight, when they're compact. That's why Jose Mourinho is still, and maybe not as much as he used to be, but is a world-renowned manager. That's why Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid team is miserable to play against. It's because it's really hard to get the ball in between and behind 10 players and score a goal. So the U.S., they scored their first two goals in this game in transition. But I, I want to be clear, that doesn't devalue these goals. It just does illustrate the fact that it's hard to break down a fresh defense. And we did see the U.S. start to do that a little bit later on in this game. 
Yeah, I don't think like the fact that those goals were scored in transition devalues them at all. If anything, it makes me sort of love uh, Serginho Dest all the more because this is like a, a half in which the U.S. did start to get more chances, but I would say they weren't always clear cut or very strong chances. Sometimes it was Sergeant played in, but the ball was poked clear. That's a really good chance. Sometimes it's Pulisic getting around a couple defenders, but then the shot going wide or the shot being deflected out. I think Jamaica did a good job of blocking those opportunities. And I'm going to pause here to talk about Allen Iverson for a moment. The obvious connection. <laughs> uh, Allen Iverson went to high school. I think it was Bethel High School, which is in Hampton, uh, Virginia, which is about two hours east of Richmond. But I remember growing up hearing the sort of myths about Allen Iverson as a high school player, both uh, in basketball and, for this analogy, in football. And one of the stories, which is almost certainly made up, but I love to believe is at least a little bit true, is that uh, AI in high school at one point like was so clearly the best player on the team and was so spotlighted that nobody else was able to do much. And the story goes that he threw the ball to himself, as in threw it like, Past the two defenders who were trying to get to him, ran around them and caught it on the other side, which I'm pretty sure physics says is difficult at best. But <laughs> I, I tell you that story to say that felt like Serginho Dest in this game of after a period of the U.S. getting some chances, but they were low percentage or like, oh, just a little bit too wide. Oh, that was blocked out. Oh, that was cut out. Oh, that last pass just wasn't there. Dest just sort of took the ball and was like, I'm just doing this. Drives forward, cuts past two, fires in a shot. It's like perfectly back corner. It's a great take, but it did feel like Serginho Dest being like, all right, fine, I'll just do it myself. I love that so much. That is great. I didn't know Alan Iverson went to high school so close to where you are. That's that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I, I don't know he's much one about of, he's one of the outside of the 76ers. Yeah, that's that's all you need to know. He's one of like, like there's very few Virginia athletes, but the ones we get, we claim hard. You should. You should. You you earned it, Taylor. You and all of Virginia <laughs> earned you. that. Yes, I, I appreciate that. I like how much credit you have given to Des because now I'm going to give credit to everyone else, basically. Um, That's fair. Because there are a lot of other factors at play here. So I'm going to walk through the moments before the goal is scored. The U.S. have a throw-in on the right side of the field. So that's Cannon's side. Cannon throws it into Sargent. And this is contribution number one that I want to give credit to. Sergeant drops in a little bit, chests the ball down, and plays it cleanly back to Yunus Musa. That's not the easiest thing to do. And I think it kind of embodies how Sargent was able to link the attack to the defense or the midfield to the attack in this game, I should say. Mm-hmm. I thought Sargent was pretty darn good overall and pretty darn good dropping in, not not going full Jesus Ferreira, but dropping in at the right moments when he was needed, not yep. going in times where he didn't really need to be in midfield, but he would find the right moments to then get on the ball, turn and play it forward and then race into the box. So Sergeant, I thought was good in this moment from him is emblematic of his performance, I thought. So Sergeant chests the ball yeah. down to Musa. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to jump in to say, well, I'm with you. I thought you were summing up the Sergeant move. Uh, since you're going to go deeper, I will not get into that. I will just say that this is one of those things where when I went back, I saw a little bit more detail and it did make me sort of happier, specifically about Gio Reyna's performance, because this throw in comes from Gio Reyna working really, really, really hard. He gets a ball. He sort of like cuts it back. He's got two players on him. He then turns and tries to go up the field. He turns backwards and he really does do a good job to pull in Jamaican players, tries to evade pressure, and eventually it's poked wide for the throw in. But that was Reyna dropping very deep to pick that ball up and then trying to create something. So just credit there. Then we have the throw in taken by Reggie Cannon, who I do think does my favorite, least favorite thing of starts to take the throw, 
stops, walks up a little bit, goes to throw it again. It's a little bit of a pump fake, walks further up, and I think ends up taking it about 10 yards further up the field. But maybe that's just craftiness and veteran experience from Reggie Cannon. Who knows? But either way, I'm with you that it's really good from Josh Sargent to, in traffic, hold that ball up, sort of lower chest it down to his feet, and then lay it off, and then turn and make that run forward. The aged veteran Reggie Cannon shows some uh, some guile <laughs> do, once do again. You, do you remember that moment when after, I forget yep, what friendly yep. it was, where he was talking about the young kids, and he was like, I'm 22, I hate this. I sound so old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's a crafty veteran, it's fine. He is crafty. Reyna, Reyna uh, allows that throw in to occur. Then yep. Reggie Cannon throws mm-hmm. the ball in, Sergeant chests it down, and plays it to Musa, who everyone knows I'm a big fan of. Musa on this goal and on the next goal that we're going to talk about, Brendan Aronson's goal in the 52nd minute, plays a a key role as Mm -hmm. the, like, kind of the second layer passer, to use a Bobby Warshaw expression, if I've gotten that right. So there's the assist pass, then there's the the pass before that one. So I guess that's Mm -hmm. just an MLS assist, and I should just use that term. But Musa plays that Hmm. role in this moment, except he actually does have the assist. He just isn't, like, this hyper-creative guy. He's yep. just playing the ball that allows other players to do stuff. So Musa gets on the ball from Sargent. He dribbles forward, finds a little seam, and then plays the ball into Dest. Dest then can cut inside after or as Christian Pulisic overlaps. And that's the last piece of credit mm-hmm. I want to give. That that goal is not as simple from Dest if Pulisic doesn't overlap and force Mariapa to hesitate just a, a, for a split second. That allows Dest to cut inside and not really have to worry about Mariapa, and then he can just beat Michael Hector easily and score that goal. So you've got Reyna, you've got Cannon with the, the throw. I'm not, I'm not sure how much credit that really deserves. But then it's Sargent <laughs> and Musa and Pulisic on the overlap. This is the sign of a well-functioning team when you can dig in and find so much credit to award different people besides the goal scorer. Yeah. And my final note on this game with that in mind, because it is, again, just a great individual goal from Dest that then when you watch it again is still very individual, but also the whole team working together. But I want to spotlight Josh Sargent for a second, because for this goal, for the second goal and for one key moment in between, he does the same thing each time, which is after he lays that ball off to Musa, he turns, he aggressively sprints forward to be there if there's going to be an outlet pass. But the big thing he does here, just like Pulisic makes that overlap, it pulls Mariapa out, it just makes him hesitate. Sargent makes a run that really pushes the back line deeper. And when when Dest does cut inside and gets past that, those kind of initial Jamaica defenders, the reason why there's that gap is because Sargent has made the run and the back line has dropped off a little bit. For the chance in the, I think it was 51st minute, the one where Reyna takes a little bit of a heavy touch and kind of kills yeah, his angle. Yeah. Do you remember this one? That one, again, the space is completely open because Josh Sargent has gone like hurtling through the middle of the field and Pinnock and Hector have basically tracked him all the way across the field. And that's what opens up the gap for Reyna uh, when he runs in. And then for this for the second goal, obviously, Sargent plays a big role there and we can talk more about it in detail. But just it's another diagonal run across that pulls defenders with him that opens up space for other players. Three different times he does this three different times. The U.S. get very good opportunities, two of which they score. Though Josh Sargent doesn't get on the score sheet, uh, he does get the assist, obviously. So I guess that's something. It, it was another very good performance from him. And I think for me, at least went a long way towards like being more comfortable with him as the yes, starting number yes. nine for the U.S. right now. It was a step in the right direction for Josh Sargent. Yep. He, he moved to create space for others. 
but he also moved to create space for himself in the box. And, and Waki mm-hmm. on Twitter had a great clip of Sargent earlier on in the game, kind of fainting one way and then, and then cutting another way in the box and creating space for himself. One moment that sticks out for me from Sargent is later on in the second half when Joe Akini is playing right wing and he plays that cross into the box and Sargent can't quite get there. But I mean, maybe the pass is overhead. I don't want to split hairs on that. But Sargent is in the right spot. If he's a half mm-hmm. step faster or the pass is a half foot closer to Sargent, he's going to score that goal. He's going to get a good chance. Sargent's movement overall, I thought, was was very, very solid in this game yep. generally. And are, are we good to transition into the second U.S. goal, Taylor? Because there are some parallels here, too. Yeah. Other than just to say one more time. Thank you, Serginho Dest, for being very, very good and choosing the United States. Same yeah. thing for Yunus Musa, who you yeah. said, I think you, you meant in this sequence or maybe like in this system doesn't have to be creative. But you would agree that he is capable of cre- being creative, right? Like if we do need Musa, I think he did it once in the first half. He did sort of dance his way through a couple defenders. And then it's almost a chance for Pulisic that I think that's the one that gets poked clear. But I, I'm assuming you would agree that Musa can be creative, just maybe didn't have to be on occasion in this game. I guess it, it's really hard. I feel bad, but it's, it kind of depends on how you want to define creative. He's not going to uh-huh. thread through balls. He's not going to play that ball that Brendan Aronson played uh, to Giorena. I'm thinking individual. I got gotcha. you. But like, mm-hmm. as an individual, Musa can, can keep the ball. I wrote in that piece I wrote for yeah. the athletic last, or earlier this week. Wow. It's been a long week. He, he's hmm. so good under pressure. He's really press resistant and he can drive the ball forward and, and create opportunities for players to do their thing. But I don't think he's going to rack up assists or rack up even expected assists on a regular basis, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I think I was thinking more individually. Like, I think he, we've seen him get around a player or do He's a step over and beat yeah. somebody. But you're talking, you're talking about, yeah, with the playmaking passing options. Now I'm with yeah. you. Now I got yeah. you. And with all that said, Joe, yes, let's talk about the second goal. Second goal, baby. It's Brendan Aronson in the 52nd yeah, minute. It is. The U.S. win the ball in their half after a, a moment where Jamaica had possession. And so John Brooks then plays the ball forward to Eunice Musa, who does his thing again and, and creates <laughs> something, right? And he play, Musa plays the ball over to Brendan Aronson on the left side. And Aronson came in for Pulisic at the half. And, I mean, Brendan Aronson almost immediately started creating danger. He had a couple of really nice moves in the first five, six, seven minutes of this half, and this goal was one of them. Aronson, mm-hmm. off of Musa's pass, heads it to Sargent, who drifts wide, and you already described that movement. Sargent drifts wide and drags Ethan Pinnock with him. Pinnock, Pinnock, I'm not sure. He drags that center back with him and then shimmies away from that center back and plays the ball across the face of goal to Brendan Aronson, who made a really great run in behind Liam Moore, Jamaica's other center back, to get in space in the box. Everything about this goal, the timing, the movement, the precision, is is picture perfect. I'm going to take us a little bit further back, if you don't mind, Please, to yeah. some of the buildup. Uh, because it is, I think, to a point you made uh, earlier in the show, and I've made a couple different times, like it is the U.S. capitalizing on... Uh, a transition of Jamaica finally having some numbers further forward. And here, Jamaica are attacking. It's really good work from Reggie Cannon to sprint back. And it's a, it's a sort of just poke tackle. It's a standing poke tackle that he plays into John Brooks. John Brooks half passes, half clears. I think it's like, if it gets to a player, that's great. But if it doesn't, at least the ball is gone. But he ends up hitting it right to Yunus Musa, who turns and This is that ball that you were talking about, Joe. And I just wanted to back it all the way up to here just to say that in this moment when that ball is hit, it's it's a good ball from Yunus Musa, but it is sort of holding up. It's a diagonal where Brendan Aronson is probably going to have to bring it down, and then he's going to be in a 1v1 situation where does he try to beat that player on a dribble? Does he try to lay it off for Josh Sargent? Does he wait for reinforcements? And the decision he makes is, 
I would say, like, not genius, but it's just very, very smart to, in that moment, evaluate and rather than try to pull it down and, and go at somebody one on one or or take the more conservative approach. I thought it was a really smart decision. Do you remember what he does? He heads it, right? Yep. It's just a really, really well, well hit flick for Josh Sargent, who made that diagonal. But the loft he gets behind it, because Sargent still has a little bit of ground to cover, it, it just, it's, it's perfectly in stride for Sargent to continue to carry. Obviously, the angle he then has is a little bit away from goal. And you're right. He does that. Then like the cutback shimmy where it f- seems like he's going to go left and then turns and goes right. And then Aronson has continued his, his run and is there for the tap in. But it's definitely just one of those moments in which, yes, it's a tap in and you could give a lot of credit to Josh Sargent but the overall sequence the way they combine and the way Aronson continues his run are all big thumbs up for me man Aronson was just so good coming off the bench yep. he looked he looked like he wasn't a downgrade from Christian Pulisic I don't think that's crazy to say I think he was actually more effective and more efficient in his it, movement it, it in is the simultaneously half. crazy sorry Joe, uh, Joe I don't mean to interrupt just no, to you're say good. it is simultaneously not crazy to say but also seems like it's crazy to say because yes. of who you're comparing him to but I, I think you're absolutely right that I thought we would see a little bit of a drop off and even in those first 10 minutes it was just like oh wow okay they're they're doing even better with the attack and looking even sharper and I understand Baralter managing Pulisic's minutes I think if we see Christian Pulisic out on the field in the second half he has mm-hmm. probably a similar effectiveness that, to, to what Brendan Aronson did have, but we didn't see Christian Pulisic. We're going to see him more against Northern Ireland, and we got to look at Brendan Aronson out wide, and I think that's a great spot for him. I think, yep. yeah, he can still play in midfield, and I'm not saying the door's closed there for the U.S. men's national team, but he's a really good fit as more of an out-and-out winger. I'm going to take you on out wide. I'm going to cut inside and beat you with my right foot. Because that's what he does when he feeds Reina just a minute or two before this goal. He makes mincemeat out of Ariapa. Jamaica's mm. right back. I mean, he cuts right across him and just totally takes him out of the play. And then plays a great ball in behind. Brendan Aronson, whether it's as the left-sided central midfielder or the right-sided, whatever, or on either wing, he brings a lot to this group. I think we're seeing how much how much of an improved player he is after Aubie Salzburg. I was just massively encouraged with him in his performance in the second half and all of his, obviously, his contribution on this goal and then actually scoring the goal as well. I also feel, I don't know if you had this, Joe, but like having watched him, I would say pretty regularly uh, with RB Salzburg or Red Bull Salzburg, uh, just out of like genuine interest, but also because we do the Americans Abroad Roundup every week. It seems like we've seen his game develop, even in the short period from when he moved from Philly to Salzburg. I think he's gotten more confident. I think he's gotten a bit more technical. Yes. I think he's able to play a little bit faster. And I just, it, it felt sort of like, uh, like, oh, like our, our youngsters coming good here. <laughs> and, and I know that like union fans have, have a lot of love for him and have way more invested in him than I. But, uh, this game was just, it was a nice sort of like additional coming out party for, uh, Brendan Aronson. It made me very happy. I 1000% agree. He and Chris Richards both came on in the second half. At the start of that second half, Richards came on for Long and and Aronson came on for Pulisic. And I thought Aronson was far and away the the better performer of those two. Not that we really need to compare, but I guess I'm just going to slide in my Richards analysis here. Hmm. I thought Richards looked timid. I thought he looked slow on the ball and he just didn't look like himself. And we saw this against Panama when he made his debut. And I'm wondering if it's just him still getting used to this international environment He's getting used to to coming into this group. It was a very short camp this time, had very little time with the rest of the group. He wasn't himself. And so I did just want to include that little bit on Richards. I think, you know, we're going to see better from him down the line. 
And then with Hoffenheim, he's usually in a back three. Isn't he usually True. on the left side of that back yeah. three as well? Or, yeah. yeah. So John Brooks is always going to be our left center back if John Brooks is good to go. So it's maybe a little bit a different system, a different approach, a little bit out of position. I'm with you. It wasn't the like in as much as I we got to see Brendan Aronson look very, very good and, and sort of like, oh, he he's coming good. All right. Chris Richards, I think, was OK, but we didn't see those like stopping like a two V one or cutting something out really, really cleanly. I will say I don't think he has too much blame for the Jamaica goal, which we should probably also spend some time talking about. Yeah. And real quick before we do that, I saw a lot of people sure. on Twitter and you and I talked about how we wanted to see Richards start next to Brooks. And when that didn't happen and when Aaron Long plays, there's some outcry. And, and that's somewhat justified. That's always going to happen one mm-hmm. way or the other, regardless of who's in the 11. But I think we can understand why Berhalter made the choice to start Aaron Long once we saw Richards in that second half. So I'm not saying Richards was horrible, but I do think the selection for Berhalter to start Long was very justified. So if we're if we're sort of like doing a little bit of like creative interpretation, I'm just trying to say we're not saying this is definitely what happened, but like. If we're kind of connecting dots, it probably stands to reason that, yeah, Richards comes in a little bit late to camp and maybe just isn't quite as up to speed as, say, Aaron Long looked. And we have seen that. We talked about that in the preview of, like, if you see Owen Odesoe start as the holding midfielder, not Kellen Acosta, it probably means he's had a really strong camp so far. And maybe just that hasn't been the case. Maybe it's also that Berhalter wanted the speed of Aaron Long, maybe the ability to handle the physicality, knowing that Jamaica would be a bit stronger, would have Andre Gray up there battling for everything and being pretty quick so maybe that's part of it as well but i'm not so disappointed but i hope we do get to see chris richards uh next time against northern ireland i'm right there with you and and i apologize for taking us down that path let's talk jamaica's goal scored by jamal Lowe in the 70th minute taylor Mm -hmm. do you want to walk us through this one yeah, well, I, uh, it's basically <laughs> the abbreviated one. I don't have as much detail. Like, it's, it's essentially because I don't want to start with like, yeah, Cannon doesn't do enough is where I was going to go <laughs> immediately. But it's essentially the point that Taylor Twelman, uh, really drove home was that it comes from a U.S. set piece. I think it's a U.S. corner. Um, I, I don't think the set piece delivery was great. It was Sebastian Legette usually taking it. Uh, I paid a lot of attention to what he does as he's about to take because sometimes it's left arm in the end. So, left arm in the air sometimes it's right arm in the air sometimes it's both and it seems to be that i think it's left arm means far post right arm means near post and both arms in the air is like center of the box top of the six yard box but jamaica kept putting their tallest players out in front of that and so those balls that were sort of driven towards the top of the six because it was oftentimes both hands in the air those were pretty easily cut out or headed clear and I, as I recall that is how this transition begins. It's a ball in that's sort of cut out of the near post then it's played forward and then Jamaica are away. Is that about the uh, start of it Joe? Yeah no you nailed that. It comes from a okay. US corner that's as deep as I went in my notes on the corner but uh, Jamaica Jamaica start their counter from that moment so Anthony Robinson has come in for Serginho Dest at this point and the ball comes out of the box and it's Palmer, the guy we weren't sure was going to be in camp or in this game. Yep. But I believe it's Palmer who's trying to bring the ball down and Robinson is on his back and Anthony Robinson can't win that ball. Yunus Musa tries to slide over and help at the last second. He can't do enough to win that ball either. So Palmer can play it forward to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe then just barely gets a pass off to Andre Gray into the attacking half. Then Lowe makes his run up the field and, and slips in into the box behind Kellen Acosta, but in front of Chris Richards. I mean, the U.S. have a 4v2, and there's a lot of blame mm-hmm. to go around here, although I do think most of that blame falls on Reggie Cannon, and I'm going to let you take Agreed. that away, Taylor. 
Yeah, and, and again, it's credit to Taylor Twelman for spotting this because I was I watched this probably more than any goal, even the Sergio Des one, as shocking as that may be, because it, it is one where lots of people play a role, but it's tough to see like what fully breaks down because the U.S. do have numbers back, and it just seems like it's really good work from Andre Gray. Then it's a clever run from Low. It's a good ball in. It's a good finish from him. Watching it again, you're right that Low makes a smart run that I think Robinson checks at the wrong moment and kind of spots the wrong runner and tracks that one and doesn't stick with low. But it is Reggie Cannon standing off of Andre Gray a little bit. And I think fundamentally, he does not want to get beat on the dribble. So he's given him about maybe a yard, maybe two yards of space. And is sort of uh, Cannon is trying to stand up Gray, I think, hoping that he'll cut that ball back or at least slow it down. But I do think there's two other things here. The first thing is that Cannon is already on a yellow uh, for a professional foul, I think is what it ended up being. They didn't really say for sure, but I think that's what it was earlier in the game. But then also in the 29th minute, uh, Cannon gets caught flat footed and he has to essentially take down low right at the top of the box, maybe a couple more feet and it's definitely a penalty. Uh, and so I think those two things combine for Reggie Cannon to not want to pick up a second yellow, but also not dive in and get beaten again and not concede a penalty. So I think he's a bit more standoff. And usually when you see this, it's further out wide and it's the fullback not wanting to commit. And so there's almost this idea of like, I didn't let him cross from the most dangerous position. So I did my job. Now it's your job to head that ball clear. And that's kind of what it seems like here is Reggie Cannon. Like, hey, I slowed him down. You guys got to track the runs. But I would argue if you step maybe a yard closer or even just move a, a foot or two closer to Andre Gray, he doesn't have the time. He doesn't have the ability to pick out that pass and play it in there. I think he does have to cut it back. So I think we saw the deficiency or one of the problems with Reggie Cannon uh, and his defensive approach there. I don't think Reggie Cannon had the best performance, and I don't think that's a hot take. He wasn't, he wasn't particularly strong defensively. Taylor, you've just detailed all of the examples that I was, that I was going to talk about. You, you <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You took that. No, 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 no. Like, <laughs> like you, you laid it all out very well. And I want to spread a little bit more blame. Sergio Dest for all of his attacking quality showed some defensive vulnerability as well. So mm-hmm. there were issues. John Brooks is just a defensively vulnerable player. He needs a guy like Aaron Long to cover for him. And so there are issues. There are structural and individual defensive issues that we saw at times in this game. But I just want to be clear. There's nothing really to overreact to here. Reggie Cannon is still a fine player. He made mistakes. I'm sure he'll grow from them. But it is a nice goal from Jamaica, a great finish from Jamal Lowe. But yeah, it just highlights some of the defensive deficiencies that were on display in this game. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, the U.S. obviously gets two more goals in this one. Sebastian Legette with the brace. Uh, we don't need to go as much in detail on those because I think as we've already said a couple times, once you start getting the subs, things change up a little bit. But I think also we've gone pretty long on this game already and there's still a decent amount to be discussed. So quickly in maybe the next uh, few minutes here, Joe, let's talk a little bit about any other performers performances we liked and let's talk a little bit about what we would like to see going forward against Northern Ireland in that upcoming Friday. Are there any performances that you liked? Because I think I've talked through almost every player that I I thought I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Uh, You and I talked briefly before we recorded about how John Brooks didn't have his best performance on the ball. So that's a negative thing to point out. You you pointed out, Taylor, Mm -hmm. sorry to steal your thunder here. He had a number of passes Mm -hmm. that kind of just went 
out of bounds or right to an opposing player. He just wasn't his usual self passing wise. And again, that's fine. He's going to have an off game here and there. And it didn't cost the yep. U.S. in this game in any real way. So, I mean, there's a the little hit on Brooks. Aaron Long, I thought, was defensively mobile. Had a had a pretty good game, to be honest with you. He's not a flashy mm-hmm. center back, but I thought I thought he was fine. We talked about the fullbacks. We talked about that midfield three and the front three. Are there any guys that we didn't get to that you wanted to slide in there? Um, I just wanted to go back to Sebastian Legette one more time, just because obviously he gets the two goals and we'll get the credit for that one. But there was so much I liked about his game. And I already mentioned, like, Serginho Dest has words with him about being a little bit too slow. I think maybe that's a fair criticism that he could have played one or two touches faster a couple of different times. But I also think similar to my defensive Gio Reyna, some of it is that I think Legette was tasked with doing a lot in this midfield. Mm-hmm. I think he's a player that Burhalter, he is kind of a Burhalter guy. I think he understands what Burhalter wants and works really, really hard to make sure he's doing what he's been asked to do. And that's why he keeps coming back. And in this game, Maybe he could be a little bit faster, but then his goal scoring is is pretty top notch. But it's also sprinting 30 yards to make sure he is preserved the shape of that midfield. It's dropping in at times when it requires a lot of running to make sure he's where he needs to be. Even that uh, that chance for Gio Reyna uh, that we've talked about earlier in the 51st minute, it's because Sebastian Legette has closed 20 yards to make a play on the ball. And then he turns and tries to get forward as well, even after he's been sort of knocked over as a result I, I thought his effort and energy uh, on, on display in this game were big reasons as to why we're, we're going to keep seeing him uh, in Burhalter's plans going forward so a very good game from Sebastian Legette he's one I wanted to spotlight we've talked about Reyna we've talked about Dest uh, Acosta I think just again as that number six that he carries the ball forward more than I think I've seen from certainly Jackson Ewell but maybe yes, even Tyler yeah. Adams for the U.S. granted we don't always see Tyler Adams with the regularity that we would like, but there was moments in this game where Acosta gets the ball and carries it 30, 40, 50, 60 yards. And that, like, I am good with that. If our number six is going to do that and we sort of have the strength, we have the confidence against the opponent to have that player move forward with the ball. I think it opens things up. I think it catches Jamaica out. I think it pulls defenders in that makes space for other players. So I thought really Kevin Acosta as the number six was one of my two biggest takeaways. The first being Serginho Des can do whatever he wants. Yeah, I want to see Acosta again against Northern Ireland if if he can manage the minutes. Yep. He played the full game. If he's fit and can go at least a half, I'd love to see that again to get another look at what he can do in that spot. I thought he was good. Legette, man, Legette just deserves so much credit. He gets so much crap mm-hmm. because he's an MLS guy. Yep. But he's yep. he's a very strong player and is going to be in this group as long as he's healthy for a while. Um, Quickly, just to mention the players we literally haven't said their names yet. Uh, Luca mm-hmm. De La Torre came off the bench and I thought he was solid. He's a connector. We, we talked about him on a show a couple of weeks ago and he, he kind of looked like we thought he was going to look like. He moved play. Yep. He, he played a part on, uh, Legette's two gold and, uh, goals and got an assist on the last one, I believe. And then Sibachu. Yep. It's good to get a look at him, albeit briefly. Mm-hmm. Maybe we see him start against Northern Ireland. Uh, Daryl DK's out with a little bit of a knock. So he could be the next guy to start if Sargent can't go. But I mean, at this point, we've mentioned every single guy and by and large, Taylor, I thought this was a very good performance and almost every player had a pretty good performance. I agree. We saw Tim Ream very briefly in a in a beanie with long hair. I wasn't quite ready for that one. He did not play, but we saw him on the sidelines. Um, let's talk very briefly about what we do want to see against Northern Ireland, either individual players or approaches to the game. I've got one to lead off. Uh, I alluded to this earlier with the U.S.'s pressing system. What I thought 
worked really well was the way that like when one player went, two players went with them. When the ball went back, everybody pressed higher up. I thought there was good communication. What I thought was sort of an issue, and I want the U.S. to figure out a way to deal with, is that you would get the front three stepping high, obviously. You'd get the midfield three trying to fill some of those gaps. But Jamaica kept their sort of wide attackers wide and high up the field and that pinned back the fullbacks a little bit. And so if you have uh, Reggie Cannon and Sergio Dest not able to kind of help play a part in the press, what that meant was that at least twice when the U.S. seemed like they had completely locked in Jamaica, there was an outlet ball wide to one of the Jamaican fullbacks, and then they could play from there. And so how the U.S. solves that issue of if the opponent keeps their attackers high and the fullbacks have to track them, who then moves over to cover? Do you have the wide attacker sit on that fullback and have one of the midfielders step further up? Do you have, say, Sebastian Legette, if he's that left central midfielder, does he go wide to sit on that fullback? And then does somebody step up from the back line to fill the space in the middle? That little rotation, it's a minor thing. It's a very maybe nerdy thing to focus on. But twice the U.S. really pressured, really caused problems. I thought we're going to get an opportunity out of it. And then it was just a quick pass out wide and that outlet was on and then away Jamaica went. Um, so how the U.S. kind of closed that if that's uh, on as an opportunity for Northern Ireland, I, I want to see them have a defensive plan or at least just a player able to step in there and fill that one a bit more. I like that. That's a good tactical thing. If we're at a point, Taylor, where we can nitpick, that's a that's a good thing. That's where we want to be when we're talking about yeah, these games because true. it means that a lot of stuff's mm-hmm. going right. And so I'll be watching for that and seeing how they press against Northern Ireland. I guess my things I want to see are more individual and more on a personnel basis. John Brooks is going to be gone from this next game, as is Reggie Cannon. So there are going to be at least two new starters yep. on the and back Joe line. Keeney, they said very briefly, which yeah, I, didn't I didn't know. I didn't but know that. Apparently yeah. he's also out after this one. So there are three guys in total, and and along the back line, I'd like to see Chris Richards if Berhalter thinks he's ready. If he's not, I kind of understand it after seeing his 45, but I'd like to see Chris Richards along the back line, and I'm guessing we'll see Dest at right back. I'd like to see Acosta again, Musa again, if possible, but then Brendan Aronson is my big one. I want to see him start, whether that's as a winger, giving Reyna maybe a rest, or I don't think Pulisic will come off the bench in the next game. So Aronson maybe on the right wing or in midfield would be great with me. All right. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I, I think I'm up for any sort of like lineup experimentation for the most part. I, I think I'm with you that I would like to see Kellen Acosta as the number six again, just to make sure that we have a larger sample size and that yes. that does yeah. like work more consistently in Northern Ireland. I We haven't really looked at yet, but I'm going to assume are a stronger team than this current present Jamaica team that we've already talked about at length. Uh, so how the U.S. handles that, if it is Anthony Robinson, if it is Reynolds, uh, wherever Sergio Dest is going to be, I think that is also very important to keep an eye on about. Does the U.S. look as good? Do they look better with Dest if he is at right back and Robinson at left back? I thought we saw... Some of the negatives of Cannon's game we already talked about, I thought we kind of saw the same thing of Robinson, that sometimes he commits too far forward, he makes an overlapping run, and then the ball is lost, or now he's kind of taken himself out of the equation and he has to get back really quickly. Sometimes I saw some passes not come off, or he would dribble into space and then get tackled. So I thought it was a better game from Robinson. We've definitely seen worse for in a U.S. shirt, but I think we didn't see enough from either player necessarily to cement their sp- their spot as like, all right, it's definitely going to be Reggie Cannon on the right, Dest on the left, or yeah. it's definitely going to be Robinson on the left, Dest yeah. on the right. I think it's still sort of up for debate and probably will continue to be even if one does have a better game against Northern Ireland. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, read tweets about people you know being on one side of that debate or the other for the next four months as we get no. into the summer. Boo. No. 
Uh, <laughs> any other things we want to see from the Northern Ireland game, which is what Sunday evening, Sunday morning, my time, week? probably Sunday, Sunday early afternoon, your time. There we go. So, no, uh, right. I don't, so we're going to be back. Have... No, I'm good. I'm good. I was I was sort of moving us on to the uh, the summary of that one. Uh, so any other final thoughts, Joe, on this game? This was a fun game to watch. The U.S. played well, <laughs> yeah. and a lot of the performances were really good. I am encouraged. <laughs> Lovely summarizing. Uh, we will be back to talk about the USA's uh, game against Mexico and Olympic qualifying the 1-0 loss in just a moment. One more time, congratulations to the U.S. men's national team for that 4-1 to win over Jamaica. Good stuff, fellas. Let's keep it going against Northern Ireland. Now, a word from today's sponsors, and then back to Olympic qualifying. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So, Joe, we talked about uh, how enjoyable that win over Jamaica was. I wouldn't say the game, the loss to Mexico was enjoyable, but I wouldn't say it was unenjoyable either, because I think for a game that we talked about as being sort of unimportant in the grand scheme of this competition, you finish second, you still go to the next round, and that next round is the most important game the U.S. is going to play. Uh, even if they go to the final, that means they've already qualified. So to me, that semifinal game against an as-yet-unknown opponent uh, matters the most. But I still think this game was pretty interesting, and I do think we learned a few things. Where are you on this one, no loss? I agree. Man, you said that really well. The game didn't matter, but we saw some interesting things, some really good things from the U.S., some really yep. bad things from the U.S., and a really, really bad mistake from Sebastian Soto, who outed Sergio Dest about his baguette eating issue. I'm not really sure that's, <laughs> I'm not really sure why that's such a big deal. Baguettes are great. I'm all for eating them plain butter, ideally. But I mean, outside Agreed. of that, outside of that mistake from Sebastian Soto, I guess that was the most high profile thing that happened, but we did learn other things besides that. We did. And I feel bad for Sebastian Soto because it's a it's a bad pass and it's a very high profile mistake. But I feel bad for like the U.S. as a whole because and I think I, I messaged you this, Joe, but like the goal uh, for Antuna is in the 45th minute in the 43rd in my notes or thereabouts. I started writing about how this feels like um, <laughs> the analogy I had for this one was like when you first start playing like your FIFA career campaign and it's the first game versus the 15th game when you haven't stopped playing and you're a little bit sloppy or you don't care quite as much about the details. This one felt like the U.S. players were all up for it. Everybody was at 100%. Everybody was locked in and focused and it reminded me of a sort of old school, early 2000s, like late 90s USA-Mexico game where Mexico are probably superior technically but the U.S. is working so hard that they frustrate that technical ability and it almost sort of negates it at times and I did I did think this was the U.S. being smart when they were physical 
and smart when they weren't physical, very importantly, because things can boil over. I thought they tracked really well. I thought they focused on their defensive solidity and not giving up easy opportunities. And so in the 43rd minute, I thought, like, this is an old school U.S., grind it out, work really hard, frustrate Mexico. If you can keep it going until, like, the 60th minute, that's when they probably start to feel the pressure. Maybe you can catch them. And then as I finished sort of writing that basic thing... Uh, Soto gives it away and Mexico scores. And in that moment, it kind of changes the entire narrative of the game. If this one finishes nil-nil and it's hard-fought defensive work from the U.S., that tells us this team can be really well-structured defensively and cause problems. But because it's a one-nil loss, it doesn't feel that way as much anymore, even though it probably should. Because, again, it's a very individual mistake for the goal. And that's a that's a great point to highlight that the, the the difference in narrative. I'm always big on that because goals happen at oftentimes like random intervals and it's soccer's just weird sometimes. And this goal mm-hmm. is kind of a fluke. Sebastian Soto drops in as the US are building up in their half. Henry Kessler plays the ball into Soto, who who again had dropped deeper in midfield and Soto plays kind of a first time no look pass unnecessarily to Pineda as that right center back. And it's just a, it's a mental lapse from Soto. It's a mental and technical lapse from Soto. Oriel Antuna just slides in, intercepts the ball, cuts onto his right foot and scores. It's not the easiest of shots, but it's a good chance for Mexico. And Antuna makes the U.S. pay. But if that moment doesn't happen, I think we're talking about how the U.S. And you know what? Forget it. Like, let's talk about what the U.S. did well in this game. The U.S. moved the ball forward through pressure very well. There were a lot of mistakes, yes, but that's always going to happen against a high press. The U.S. moved the ball in between Mexico's lines. They beat that, the 4-4-2-4-4-1-1 that Mexico was pressing with, with uh, Alvarado as that number 10 kind of, pressing Andres Perea as the U.S.'s number 6. They beat that pressure. They had Dotson or, or Cardoso or Mihailovic dropping in at times. The center backs, especially Kessler, did some really nice passing and breaking lines They looked confident under pressure, playing forward and getting into the attack. And then defensively, Mm -hmm. you highlighted it already. They limited Mexico. They kept them contained. The biggest weakness and the biggest overall mistake looking outside of Soto's individual mistake was just their lack of creativity in the attack. They didn't have the final third execution to take the momentum that this, the solid positioning and the, uh, the good spacing in the 4-3-3 and all the different elements of that, they couldn't carry the momentum that they have in buildup into the final third and execute plays. But man, this mm-hmm. was not a bad performance from the U23s. No, it certainly wasn't a bad performance. I think it was a performance that shows some of the deficiencies in this roster because, again, if it's no-nil at halftime, I think that is the exact first half the United States wanted. I think it is completely gone to plan. And I've experienced this uh, in my life, but we've heard coaches talk about this as well, that conceding at that point just before the half is such a problem for coaches almost as much as conceding just after the second half has begun. Because if you've got your halftime talk sort of, you've got your notes planned about what we need to do here, how we need to do that. Hey, they're getting this chance. Let's make sure we drop here and don't give this space. It's kind of built on let's keep the status quo as it is. And then when suddenly very late in the half, there's that goal it changes what your halftime talk is going to be, which sounds minor, but it's not because now you're not focused on nitpicking. Like we talked about earlier, Joe, when like if you're nitpicking, it's almost a positive versus if you have to change things, what you're doing structurally, because now you're chasing, it makes it a different halftime talk. And I think that is, in my mind, why when the U.S. comes out for the second half, they don't look as feisty as we've seen them be in the second half of the game against Costa Rica and against the the Dominican Republic. 
it seemed like it was more of a team that rather than sort of doing the thing that they've been drilled to do, they had to think a little bit more. They had to try some different things. They had to try to create a goal while still being defensively solid. And it's a credit to them that they don't concede anymore. I did think at one point there was like a five to 10 minute chunk, like early in the second half where it seemed like Mexico were going to get at least one more, not because they got really good shooting chances, but just because the United States sort of kept giving the ball away and kept being able to play their way out or put Mexico under any sort of uh, sustained, consistent defensive pressure. It felt like the U.S. would sort of hoof it long or try to go individual, get caught, get tackled, and Mexico were right back at the United States. So in some ways, that it finishes 1-0, Mexico don't get really clear-cut opportunities in that second half is also a positive in my mind. Yeah, I have the XG numbers from this game. So the U.S. had, in total... 0.32 expected goals. And it's hard to look at XG in one game sample sizes, but it does give us a rough idea. They created almost nothing. Mexico, according to Opta, is 0.23? 0.32. So, so about a third of a goal. If if you play this game three times, they're probably going to score in one of them. Yep. Uh, Mexico generated 0.65. So about double, but that's still not a lot, right? That's still not a lot. The U.S. defensively, they pressed pretty well. Their shape was good. Andres Perea covered some ground as the number six. I mean, it was a team-wide pressing performance. Johnny Cardoso didn't look as lost in the press as he did last game against the Dominican Republic. They defended pretty well. If you take away that Antuna chance, that XG total for Mexico certainly goes down probably by a, a solid percentage. But then the biggest issue that we keep circling back to is why don't the U.S. create more chances? We've kind of talked about yep. it in each game. Costa Rica game. The U.S. wins by one goal. The Dominican Republic game, it takes until the second half of the floodgates to really open. The Mm -hmm. U.S. just lack, they lack a lot of individual creativity and even more than that because there are guys that can create. We saw it against the Dominican Republic with Georgi Mihailovic. He was cutting in on his right foot and really causing problems and creating chances for Asani Dotson. We've seen Sebastian Saucedo show glimpses in this tournament. Jackson Yule can do things higher up the field and he can even break lines deeper in midfield. But in this game, I said it already, the execution was lacking. It was really poor. Saucedo wasn't mm-hmm. good. Aaron Herrera had a lot of dribbles in the final third in that first half that just didn't come off and didn't get anywhere. Georgi Mihailovic couldn't recreate his creativity from the last game against the Dominican Republic. Perea's passing wasn't very good. The system can only, the system can only go so far when the players within it aren't executing. And part of that is the roster. Sure. But I still don't think there's a lot of players that could elevate this group on a major level. But I mean, the players on in the final third just didn't play very well. I I think I I disagree with you a little bit in that, like, this is not me then saying, like, if you brought Eric Williamson, this is a 4-0 win for the U.S. But (laughs) I think to look at the game we just talked about, the Jamaica game, and, like, the Serginho Desco, the opening goal, it comes when, like, the U.S. isn't able to come, like complete a series of quick passes and get a one-on-one shooting opportunity. Sometimes Pulisic skips past somebody, but it's still shooting from an angle. And it's Dest driving forward, shooting from distance. It's a great finish. But also, as we spotlighted, Joe, it's Sargent making a run into the box. It's Pulisic making the overlap. There are numbers there around Dest that make what he does a little bit easier. Still very individual, but there are other individuals helping, which makes it more of a team play. Here, Stu Holden in the second and half uh, like around the 60th minute was just saying like it's too slow from the United States it's a it's very deliberate there's too many touches and I think he's correct but I think that was a symptom of the larger issue which is that if you had Serginho Dest on this team and he makes that run forward 
I think Sergio Dest is a good enough player that he does elevate a little bit. But if you don't have other people making those runs, yeah, the opponent can close that player down. They can put two p- people on him, and then eventually they're going to tackle him off the ball. And it seemed like this was the U.S. sort of defaulting to that older approach of youth World Cups and youth qualifying campaigns of the past, which is be defensively solid, don't give up cheap opportunities, and then counterattack and try to get scoring opportunities through individuals and in this case it's play it long and hope like your attacker outruns the defender and is then in on goal or hope they sort of force their way through somehow or flick it on to somebody who has made a run but even there again it's just it's very 1v1 it's very individual and as you and I have talked about with this team Benji Michelle especially is going to do some step overs is going to try to take people on 1v1 but I don't think there is a player in this team that really is adept at going at somebody getting by them going at somebody else getting by them and then getting a shooting opportunity that individual creativity isn't there and that's what you need when you're relying on individuals to create and that's what I think they were doing in the second half anything they can do in the knockout round to have it be the system that's facilitating attacking opportunities that is putting people in position to combine well or to pull people out of space I think that is what we fundamentally have to see if the U.S. wants to get that all-important win in the knockout round and that's the concern, right? Is there is there something that this team can do to create more attacking chances against a higher mm-hmm. quality team? No team in this tournament is better than Mexico. And so the fact that the U.S. didn't get blown out of the building mm-hmm. is is an encouraging sign. But we don't know who the semifinal opponent's going to be from the other group, from Group B in this tournament. But, I mean, is the U.S. going to be able to create chances? We don't. We don't know. We haven't seen enough of it for me to feel like, yes, they can do this going into this game. I do think it's worth pointing out that Jason Christ certainly rotated personnel in this game. This was not the U.S.'s strongest 11 in Jason Christ's eyes. I can guarantee you that because they're playing for the semifinal. So that, I mean, that's an asterisk. But again, I don't know if there are personnel on this roster that would have dramatically changed what the U.S. was doing in an attacking sense. I think they lacked enough numbers in the final third. They lacked the speed of play on the ball. I love that you brought that up from Stu Holden Taylor because that's very true. They just didn't do enough with the ball once they advanced past pressure to give Mexico issues. And and I do have a lineup that I'd like to see in the semifinal, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's going to be enough to put in a convincing win. I do think the U.S. wins that game and goes to the Olympics, but it still doesn't leave you feeling incredible about this group. But then again, this is not the U.S.'s first choice U23 group. So then there's questions about how big of a deal that concern actually is. Well, then let's let's look to that starting 11 that we wouldn't mind seeing in that knockout round game. One final uh, moment of praise for Stu Holden, who, as always, this really does happen every time he's on the mic. Uh, Two different times I wrote something in my notes and he said it like five seconds later. So either he's (laughs) spying on me or uh, I just notice obvious things or he's very good and that makes me happy. But either way, credit to Stu Holden. Credit to you, Joe, for reminding me that, uh, yeah, we had... Uh, Justin Glad and Jesus Ferreira not playing uh, in the game, or at least not starting in the game against Mexico uh, due to yellow card accumulation. You don't want to risk getting that second one, and then they're suspended for the next game. But we also had Jackson Ewell, Sam Vines, and Jonathan Lewis not starting. Lewis does come on and get some minutes, but we assume we'll be fresh for the knockout round. I have... Uh, let me see. One, two, three, four, five. I have like six to, s- I have seven like nailed on starters in my mind and then four positions that I have some question marks around. But no matter what, I want David Ochoa starting in goal. And I, I kind of like, I, I tried to find a way to tweet this that wasn't just like hyperbolic, but was also not 
too reactionary, but like David Ochoa is in the conversation for senior team goalkeepers at this point for me, like because there are so many second choice options behind Zach Steffen. And I do think they're second choice, but there's nobody that is clearly like, okay, here's the number two. Now we want the third guy who's going to be the chemistry guy. Like David Ochoa backing down some Mexico players. We saw the gamesmanship. We saw him shoving people over when they were in his way. I thought he was excellent. And I absolutely want him starting uh, in the knockout round. I'd love to see a season or even half a season of Ochoa starting at RSL before I'm willing to make the jump that it seems like you've made, but I'm I'm with you. High potential guy. He was awesome in this game. Again, gives up the goal, but again, not not really on him. Ochoa is the starting goalkeeper for me and for you headed into that semifinal. Mm -hmm. Who do you have along your back line or, or is this where the question marks kind of begin? Two of the four. Uh, <laughs> Sam Vines is definitely nailed on as a left back. Uh, yeah. I thought they really missed him. It was, what, Herrera on the left side, Araujo on the right side. But I don't think either one provided the attacking strength that Sam Vines does. And I think both of them got caught out a couple times. I don't know if Sam Vines is the fastest of those three, but he's fast enough to handle anything in transition. So Sam Vines is my left back. Justin Glad is one of my center backs. I think Pineda did a, a good enough job last night that I felt way better about him than I certainly did after the Costa Rica game. There there was still one moment, I think, when he's under pressure, and it's a sort of under-hit back pass that he then has to maybe do a little bit of a gamesmanship to make sure that nobody gets on the end of it. But other than that, I thought he was calm on the ball. He made good decisions. He He mostly did his job, so... It did make it more of a toss up for me. I'm not sure who that, that other center back is. Uh, I think I, I think basically I'm okay with either option. I might lean Kessler though to start. I echo those sentiments exactly. I lean Kessler for cool. sure based off of this game, but if Pineda starts, that's also fine. Then what about right back? Cause that is where I'm, I'm somewhat at a loss because I have heard, I will just own that I am not as familiar with Araujo as many other people. I'm assuming you, Joe, because you, you know all the things, but you certainly watched him, or at least I'm assuming watched him more in Major League Soccer. Is it correct that he started out as more of an attacking player and has moved into more of a defensive player? Almost, almost the opposite. He's more of a defensive minded really? guy that Guillermo Barroscaloto put okay. as a right winger, weirdly, last year, and that just all doesn't right. fit his profile in my view. So he did use him as a right winger, but the, but I guess your contention would be that that wasn't maybe the smartest idea because right. that's not what he's as good at. Okay, right. That helps because I understood him to be a more attacking player who is now playing as that uh, right back, and that yes. was strange to me because <laughs> yeah. it didn't seem that way at all. So I think that's where I am. Is like Herrera does seem to be the more attacking of the two and is more inclined to get forward. Araujo seems to be, and I can't tell if this is Christ tasking him with this or if this is a thing he does naturally. I don't think he gets forward as much. He still gets forward a little bit, but I think is more the defensive option. That's my kind of read on the two. Do you have a preference for who should start in the next game? Because I think the opponent will be weaker than Mexico and weaker than Costa Rica as well. I'd like to see yeah. Herrera start because he does bring a little bit more Agreed. higher up the field. Araujo can whip in a nice mm-hmm. ball, but Herrera, I think is, between his his additional experience relative to Araujo and some of the passes he hit in this game against Mexico, I give him the slight edge. But yeah, again, another situation where there's not a lot that separates these two guys. All right. Uh, so then if we're going to construct it, we've got Ochoa in goal, and I think we're both okay with Vines, Glad, Kessler, or Pineda, but probably Kessler, and then Herrera at right yeah. back. 
All right. Then the next thing, when we move to the midfield, I just want to own up front. Um, I have been mixed on Georgie Mihailovic. After this game, I am more negative than positive, I think. I think he still looks to me like a player who is obviously not in midseason form, uh, is in preseason form, but I think is also probably being asked to do a lot in terms of chance creation, but still having to get into the right position, find the right space. So maybe it's just that he's being asked to do too much, but I don't know if I have have him as a starter, which feels very strange to say about a player who is looked upon as the creative option when it comes to the midfield. He does have that feeling about him, but he's not. He's not this hyper-creative player, and I think it's important to establish that. He's... He can do things in moments. He can cut in on his right foot. He can make things happen, but he's not this creative hub. All that said, I do still have him starting in my lineup. Not necessarily because he's wowed me outside of that bench appearance against the Dominican Republic, but simply because of the lack of other options, right? Johnny Cardoso, I don't think yeah. brings a whole lot in almost any phase no. of the game at this point in his career. Hassani Dotson yep. is the other guy I have starting. So I, I in yep. my midfield, that's my two number eights in front of Jackson Ewell at the six. That's my view. Spoiler alert. Uh, I've got okay. Georgie Mihailovic and Dotson there. If Dotson's healthy, that's a caveat. He came off with a little bit of an ankle injury against Mexico. But if he's ready to go... I think those are the best options simply because I don't think Tessman's up for it. And I don't think Johnny Cardoso can can really play and make a meaningful impact right now. And what about what we saw in the second half? I think it was against Costa Rica. Could be wrong on that one. What about the idea of Perea as the number six with Yule and Dotson as the kind of shuttling number eights? I could see that. I could see that. And I think that would be my second choice. And I, I honestly toss up Dotson or Mihailovic in that yep. group for me. But I really think I lean towards seeing Jackson Newell at the six and having his distribution from those spaces. But if he's as an eight, if he's playing as an eight in that game against whoever the opponent from Group B is, I'm also totally cool with that. That's a good point. All right. Yeah, because I had it as Perea as the six, Ewell and Dotson yeah, uh, alongside. But I think we do. It's just the question then becomes, are they able to create enough sustained opportunities? Can they have kind of presence on the ball further up? Does Jackson Ewell do that as much as Georgie Mihailovic? I don't really know. So I guess I won't be too upset either way, but I think it indicates the uh, dilemma facing Jason Christ and this team as a whole. What about further forward then? Because that was where, because I didn't have him in, in midfield, I have Jonathan Lewis starting on the right. I, I have Jesus Ferrer starting centrally. Uh, and that left four different options out wide on the <laughs> left for me. And I genuinely don't know who I would go with there. I want to add real quick. I think another reason Jackson Yule starting, sorry to take us back there. Mm-hmm. I have him starting no, is because, because Andres Perea started against Mexico. I think Yule would have started, or mm. I, maybe, maybe Perea, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying at this point. I do think, <laughs> I think Yule gets the edge just because Perea played more minutes in that huh. last game. Maybe that's dumb, but either that, way. That, no, that's a fair point. And then I did have, even though it's not going to happen, when I say I've, I had four options, it was Salcedo, it was Mihailovic on the left side, it was uh, maybe Benji Michel on the left side, or it was even starting Sebastian Soto and then putting Jesus Ferreira yeah. out on the left because I'm just still so confused as to where who does the best job? Because I think Salcedo is the one who is most capable of trying stuff 1v1, like seems to be the most up for a feisty sort of game, but I think also didn't create very much against Mexico. It wasn't the strongest game I've seen from him. So I lean Salcedo, Ferreira, Lewis, but I am open to other suggestions. 
I lean the way you lean. Put Jesus Ferreira okay. as that number nine, have him drop in. Put Jonathan Lewis on the right, have him stretch the back line. And then hope that Saucedo's on and has a good game cutting in on his right foot from the left wing. We've seen glimpses of it, but not enough of it for me to be confident in his performance in this semifinal game. But I still think he's the best option just because there aren't a lot of other players that have really inspired me in this group. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that is where I'm okay to leave it. Like, we've been positive about this team, even with the loss to Mexico, and I think that is the right mindset to have when it comes to this squad in qualifying. They're where they need to be. If they win that game, that is all that matters. But I do think this conversation, other conversations we've had, to me says, like, there are times when a team qualifies for the tournament, and there's the argument of, like, do you strengthen that team? Do you bring in other players? Or do you let the team that qualified be the team that goes to the competition? I don't see how the U.S., if they do qualify, can send this roster to the Agreed. Olympics and expect it to go well. I think you do have to have stronger players, players who weren't released. Christian Pulisic has said he would like to play in the Olympics. Who knows if that would be possible? Uh, I doubt it would be, because I think they're going to want him for Nations League or the Gold Cup or both. But I do think you have to bring in other players players to be creative outlets because if this game if this tournament is played last summer uh brian charetta really wrote a really good piece about the mexico loss and pointed out that you would have had richie ledesma paxton pomacall and brendan aronson in this team if this qualifying tournament happens last year you don't have them this year but i think you need more creativity if and when the u.s is in the olympics so that's my sort of big takeaway right now is good work so far but probably still harder work to come Yeah, I agree. The group needs more talent. They just need more talent if they want to compete in the Olympics. There's a lot of solid tactical structuring being done by Jason Christ, but that can only account for so much when you don't have a lot of of really talented offensive players in this squad. So we'll see what happens in Tokyo. But first, they have to beat whoever that Group B opponent is. And I believe that game's also happening on Sunday, Taylor. So we've got double dish, double duty, double double dish. I don't know where I'm going with that. But we've got two more games on Sunday that we have to watch. And I'm excited to talk (laughs) about them. Yeah, not sure if we'll review those uh Sunday evening or Monday morning. But either way, Joe and I will be back to break down both of those games once they have occurred. For now, Joe, we've gone a little bit long, but I'm okay with it because we had big games to discuss and big games still to be discussed. Anything else to add before we call this one a day? Not a thing, sir. All right. I guess call it a day. We're not calling this show a day, but you take my point. Joe, thank you very much uh, for joining me today. When I start correcting those weird moments is when I can tell that we've talked too long and it's time to bring it to a close. (laughs) So, Joe, thank you one more time. You got it. Let's get out of here, man. (laughs) Listeners, thank you all very much for listening. Hopefully you have stuck with us through the rambling conclusion to this episode. But Joe and I will be back to talk more U.S. national team in the very near future. 